Thank you, Aaron. Welcome. Welcome to Redeeming Grace Church. My name is Matt Rawlings, one of the pastors here. We are glad that you are joining with us wherever you might be watching from. Thank you for joining with us. Um, thanks to the moms for celebrating with us well. Happy Mother's Day to you. I want to add mine. Uh, gratitude to Aaron's. Um, for everybody here, um, we, we don't tend to do Mother's Day messages, so today's no different. Um, we, we want to honor moms, but we want to make sure that we're not, we're not centered around that, so, because we want to be centered around Jesus. Um, I, I have a question for you as, as we're beginning. Um, just, just a question for you to think about. When you, when you think about freedom, what do you think of? Maybe when you think of freedom, you think of freedom from something. Freedom maybe from constraints or freedom from tyranny or freedom from government oppression or freedom from rules and regulations. Or, or maybe it's just freedom to do as we please. Freedom to do as we want, whatever seems best. We're, we're free to do that. You know, how, how you think of freedom, it might be shaped by your background, by your political party. It, it might be shaped by whether you're from the left or the right, or maybe you're libertarian. Whatever you are, um, we, we, we want you to know that, first of all, you're welcome here as members. Your political affiliation has nothing to do with being a follower of Jesus Christ by default. But being a follower of Jesus Christ should affect all those things. The question is, though, I want all of you to consider is, what do you think of when you think of freedom? What do you, when you think of freedom, what do you think about? I'll give you a moment. Maybe freedom, for you, it's the freedom from, that comes from having your rights protected or upheld, or the freedom to choose, or the freedom to think however you want. We're a country that we, we embrace the idea of freedom, or at least that's what we say, Right? In fact, we have a lot of freedoms in this country, even if some may be wondering if some of those freedoms are eroding, some of those freedoms might be going away lately due to the time of crisis we've been living in the last few months, but we still are a country of great freedoms. Regardless of your perspective on the recent months we've been living in and whether we've been free or not, I want, want to ask you, when you think about freedom, what do you think about? What would your response be based on? What would it be guided by, shaped by? What would, what would it be governed by? You see, what, what shapes and influences how you think about freedom and what you think about freedom is important. If you're a person who claims to be a Christian, then I would submit that what we think about this idea of freedom, what we're free to do, how we are free, what freedom is for, it's meant to be governed and guided by the Bible. You see, the Bible is just not silent about the matter. It, it talks about freedom a lot, actually, in the New Testament. And God speaks about it directly. And his word is meant to be the primary influence on, on how we answer that question. When we think about freedom, what do we think about? And, and I hope that for all of us, it reinforces what we already believe, which is hopefully biblical ideas. But where our ideas are unbiblical, I hope that all of us will say, you know what, I want to be challenged and shaped and governed by God's word ultimately. And so that's what we're going to seek to do today, is to be governed by what God's word says about our freedom. And so turn with me, if you will, to Galatians. Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. Galatians 5, verses 13 to 16. 
For you were called to freedom, brothers. And by the way, whenever you see brothers there, it's brothers and sisters, not just speaking to men. So it says, for you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you, your word would change our hearts and minds. God, we need our thinking, we need our feelings, we need our emotions, we need everything about us to be conformed to you because you are our creator. We are, we are made to be your image bearers. And Lord, I pray that wherever our, where our image is not bearing your image, that you would change us, transform us, make us into your image through your word. Or would you help us set aside our image, what we think, and replace that with what you say, God. I pray by your spirit you would speak to each and every one of us. Enable us to change because that's a work of your spirit. But we know that for all those who have been made alive and you have been born again, that you, you enable us to change by your grace. So I pray that you would do that by your spirit for each and every one of us. May we change by your grace. May we not live for ourselves, but may we live to please you. God, give me grace to preach this morning. Grace for all who hear. In your name, amen. Right at the outset, Paul is, he's, he's making a claim. He's making a truth claim on our lives. And he says something that in the Roman world, if he's, he's writing to people who weren't necessarily Roman citizens, he's writing to people who came from all kinds of backgrounds and all kinds of places. He's, he's writing to the church in Galatia, which was made up of both slave and free, and he tells them all equally something that applies to all of them equally, no matter what their station or citizenship is. And he says, for you were called to freedom, brothers. There's a claim on our lives right at the beginning. And he claims, this truth claim of Scripture is that we were called to freedom. The question is, what does that mean? Paul, what are you talking about? When, when, when Paul writes about freedom, he, he meant something different than what Americans typically think about. When I think of freedom, I, you know, for some reason, the back of my head, I can picture flags waving and, you know, let freedom ring. And I, I can picture songs and fireworks and things like that. And, and, and I know that the Apostle Paul, he did not have these things in mind, especially as he's writing to people who would have been confused by those notions. He's writing to people who would have been in a station where they weren't necessarily free, and yet equally, no matter slave or free, Jew or Greek, barbarian, Scythian, or whatever, whatever background, he says, he calls them all brothers, and then he says, you're called to freedom. But, but what is that? You see, this call to freedom, it can't, we know what it can't be. It can't be a call to, to do as we please. This call to freedom is not about political freedom. It's not a call to do whatever's right in our own eyes. And in fact, if you have read the Bible before, and if you ever read through the Old Testament, that is 
repeatedly how people get in trouble. God's people get in trouble when they live according to what's right in their own eyes. The whole book of Judges has that repeated refrain all throughout. We saw that when we went through the book of Ruth, right before the book of Ruth. It highlights the book of Judges. It's, it's, it's that they did what was right in their own eyes. And they didn't have God as their judge. They didn't have God as their king. And so God needed to redeem them. They needed a redeemer. They needed a king. Living for themselves resulted in one of the worst periods in all of God's people's lives. Living for ourselves, that's not true freedom. That is actually tyranny and slavery to sin. Remember the setting that Paul was writing in in this letter when he wrote most of his letters as well. He was writing to a Roman Empire that was dominated. It, it, dominated, it dominated all of these different countries, all of these different lands. The people that he wrote to were dominated by the Roman Empire. And he wrote in a time when, when slavery, people being enslaved to others, typically now for different reasons, but typically for debts or political reasons or war. But slavery was common. It's the same Paul. So when he talks about freedom, he can't talk about necessarily saying, hey, we're free to do as we want and live as we want. Because this same apostle Paul, he talked to slaves and encouraged them to obey. In Ephesians 6, 5, Paul's talking to slaves, and he says, Slaves, obey, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, but and with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. So when he's talking about freedom, you can't talk about being free from slavery, even, if physical earthly slavery. He continues on, he says, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. We see in Colossians, in Colossians 3, 22, he said, slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Right after both of those passages, he also wrote to masters in both cases. And he corrects them, but he didn't, he didn't get rid of the idea of people being slaves. He wasn't endorsing it either, but he was, he was saying there's something bigger at play here, something more important. You have a freedom here that's more important than whether you are a slave or a master, whatever your station of life. And in fact, in 1 Corinthians 7, 21, he says, were you a slave when called? Don't be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. So it's not a bad thing. Please, if you can be free, then do that. But don't worry about it if you're not. And then he says, For he who is called in the Lord is as, as a slave is a freedman of the Lord. So if you're a slave, you can be a freedman. And then he says, Likewise, he who was called when, who is free when called is a slave of Christ. So when Paul talks about the idea of freedom, he's talking about something bigger than our, our physical station. He's talking about something bigger than just how we live here on this earth, what role we have. He knew that something was far more important to address. He knew that it was really more about who they were living for. No matter their station in life, they were called to serve with the goodwill as to the Lord, not to man, because he makes the point, all Christians are servants or slaves of Christ. 
When you think of freedom, do you think of yourself as a slave to Christ? If so, what does he mean when he says you're called to freedom? It's clear that the main goal of the Christian life is is not political freedom. It's not freedom from social constraints. It's not the freedom to follow after earthly or fleshly desires or passions. In fact, he wrote in in Romans 6.15, he says about, hey, if we're free then, then how are we going to live? And he says, what are we to say? Are we to sin because we're not under the law but under grace? He says, by no means. Don't misinterpret things. Being free doesn't mean because you have freely been given grace does not mean you can freely live as you want. He says, do you not know that if you present yourself to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you are committed. And listen to this. He says, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. When you think of freedom, do you think of being a slave? Slave to Jesus, slave to righteousness. That's challenging for us. Most of us as Americans do not like to think of ourselves and our rights being governed by someone or something outside of us. And yet Paul is saying here, we're called to freedom, brothers. And it's the kind of freedom that compels us, that that makes us servants or slaves of Jesus. So now we're free to be slaves of righteousness. We were once enslaved to sin, unable to live righteous lives. Now we've been set free, given a new nature, and now we're able to be slaves of righteousness. That's the good news. All of us were trapped in our sins. All of us were were bound to earthly desires, bound to living for ourselves, bound to living for the flesh. And now Jesus came to unbind us because we who thought we were free when we could do as we want were really bound in chains. If you think that freedom is about the freedom to do whatever you want, then really that's, that's enslaving because that enslaves you to your earthly desires, living for yourself. And apart from Jesus giving you a new nature, you can't do anything but live for yourself. So really, apart from Christ freeing you from that, you're you're not free at all. But I love what it says in Romans 6, 7. It says, For you, one who has died, has been set free from sin. Now, if we've died with Christ, we believe that we'll also live with him. Romans 8, 2, Paul talks more about freedom. He says, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free. In Christ Jesus, from the law of sin and death. We could only be subjected. We were only subjected to the law of sin and death. But he set us free. So when Paul says, you've been called to freedom, brothers, that's the freedom he's talking about. He's talking about the freedom that that Jesus came to take the curse that we deserve. So now we're free from the curse. The curse that we deserve because we broke the law in every way. We deserve to be cursed in every way. And now we're free from that punishment, the penalty of sin. And if you're a Christian, that should bring joy to your heart. You're free. You can never 
be punished. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, if you've repented and, and, and followed Jesus and said, God, I, I want to follow you and not my own way now. Please forgive me for my, all my sins. And, and Lord, would you make me new? Then, then he does a work inside of us. It's not a magical prayer, but he does a work inside of us as we continually put our trust in him to set us free. Free from any fear of punishment. Free from condemnation. Free from guilt. Guilt and, and condemnation are enslaving. He says, no, I'm setting you free from those things. Maybe you struggle with feeling constantly guilty. You've been set free. You're called to freedom. Maybe like the Galatian church, you feel in bondage now that, you know, I've become a Christian, but now I've got to be good enough on my own. And, and Paul is saying to the Galatians specifically, you've been set free. You don't have to earn or attain righteousness. And you're not obligated to do that because Jesus has completely earned and attained righteousness for you. Now you are free to actually be able to keep the law, to be able to live righteous lives. But you're free because you don't have to earn any favor before God. It's already completely earned. You're free. Free from the curse. And then Paul says something else. He says something. He, he gives a qualifier what he means when he says, you've been called to freedom. And he says, look down in the second part of verse 13. He says, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. The freedom we have is not the freedom to serve our own desires, the freedom to, to merely serve ourselves. The second truth that, that makes a claim on our lives is that we haven't been given freedom to live for ourselves alone. We haven't been given freedom to live for ourselves, or we haven't been given freedom to live for ourselves alone. When Paul talks about the flesh, he's talking about the fleshly, earthly desires, things that pertain to the flesh. And a few verses later in our passage, after our passage in Galatians 5, 17, he says, now the works of the flesh are evident. They are sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. Now you think, wait a minute, okay, Paul, those are, those are bad things. I get that. Those are the works of the flesh, right? Sexual immorality, okay, check, we know that. If you grew up in this area, you, you know that sexual immorality, that's, of course, that's a work of the flesh. Impurity, sensuality. But then he throws something in there in the middle. He says, idolatry. Like, wait a minute. Okay, not, not talking about bowing down to physical idols, but he's talking about idolatry, living for idols to give us meaning or worship gods to, to satisfy us. And then he, then, he, then he goes back to some really bad things, sorcery. And you're like, yeah, that's, that's bad. I know, I, know, I know sorcery is bad, Paul. And then he says, enmity. That means just having enmity. I don't like those people. Strife, arguing, jealousy, fits of anger. Ouch, now Paul's touching on things that, that touch on all of our lives. Idolatry? Now you're saying jealousy? You ever been jealous? Bits of anger? Oh man, I've been angry. Rivalries? Well, I don't really have any rivalries, Paul. I'm fine there. But he says dissensions. Ooh, wait a minute. Divisions. Envy. And then he, he, he goes back and forth between these things that seem extreme, but in all of these things, he doesn't treat them as one is worse than the other. He throws idolatry along with anger, rivalry, dissension, divisions, and things like these. And then he says, as I warned you before, those who, who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then he goes on and talks about the fruits of the Spirit. So the freedom we have, it's freedom from living for the flesh, but not freedom to 
live for ourselves. Not freedom to live for ourselves. It's freedom from living for ourselves. And and some of those living for ourselves things, those are interesting things. I think they're tempting to all of us. And right now, we are living in a time that is filled with divisiveness. I don't care what background you're coming from. This is not meant to blame one side or another. Um, But it's a divisive world filled with division, rivalry, conceit, idolatry. And, and, and Paul's saying, you've been called to freedom, but don't, don't use that as an opportunity to indulge your own desires, to indulge the flesh. Now, the reason I'm preaching this passage, I want to be really clear, this is not corrective for our church. This is, if, if you experience the correction of God, this, that's, that's from the Lord, that's not, not something I'm meaning to do. This is not a backhanded way of correcting something that I find wrong. I am not aware, thanks be to God, and I am so grateful, church, by the way, I am not aware of divisions. I am not aware of divisiveness. I am not aware of envy or jealousy. I'm not aware of those things dominating. I'm not aware of the other sins he talks about either. The reality is, though, right now, I am concerned because we need to be aware of those categories so that we don't give ourselves over to them. Right now, you are hearing loud noises Whatever perspective you come from, you're being inundated constantly. You're being inundated constantly with things that either validate or things that you you disagree with. And what I'm concerned about is that we are all currently being tempted by this this subtle pull of the devil. See, see the devil, he he knows that he's that we we, we probably are going to be aware of things like sorcery or drunkenness or other, some of these other bigger sins here. We're going to be, we'll probably be aware of those things. We're, it's probably easier for us to spot that in our life. If, if your husband or your wife comes home and they're like, hey, I want to do some sorcery, you're like, no, right? But what if your spouse or what if you, you subtly get into being divisive and there's divisions an enmity towards people who are not like you or don't believe like you or think like you or act like you or practice like you or have preferences like you. I'm concerned as Christians that we can get caught up in the culture around us because it's the air that we breathe. And, and that's why we're bringing this message. It's not because if we're correcting anything, it's actually preventative maintenance. We have a lot of folks in the church who work for different manufacturing plants, and they all know that if you don't do preventative maintenance, things break down. We don't want there to be a breakdown in the unity of the church, and so we're doing a little preventative maintenance, especially right now, because the culture is very loud. And I'm concerned we could easily be caught up and forget that we don't belong to the culture. We don't belong to a political party. We don't belong to a right or left or libertarian or middle perspective. We don't, we don't belong to a perspective on the coronavirus. We are slaves of Christ. We're living for his kingdom. Our future in him is secure. And, and along with, with Paul, knowing that, here's the thing. Paul said in other passages, hey, I, I can suffer the loss of all things and be content. Why? Because I'm, I'm living as a slave of Christ. I'm living for him, for his kingdom. And I'm concerned that if, if we're not on guard, if we're not looking out for living for ourselves, indulging these fleshly desires, 
that it's going to be easy to succumb to the slavery of thinking that our identity lies in being American or our identity it lies in a political party or and I'm very concerned that this, this, all that's raging around us in this period of crisis related to the coronavirus, I'm, I'm concerned with the temptation to idolatry, fits of anger, rivalry, division, dissension, not just in the culture, but in the church. And, and I'm aware, you need to be aware, if you're not already, and if you're not, I don't know how, you need to be aware that there are a vastly divergent views about this period of crisis that we're living in right now. And I'm not going to give an opinion about where I'm at in that midst. And, and Aaron won't either. Because that's completely secondary. There are people all over the place who are, are all over. They, they believe this crisis is all a hoax. Others think that those in power or in our country or a foreign country or somewhere else, they might be conspiring against our country, the president or something else. There's a range of thoughts there. There's some who are concerned about the loss of political freedoms and legal freedoms that we've been subjected to and some who believe we never should have been forced into a mass isolation at all. There's some on the other end of the spectrum that think that, you know what, that's not enough. We should stay locked down indefinitely until there is a vaccine available to everybody. Some are concerned about the economy. Some are concerned about the illness. And then you have divisions that creep in between those groups, thinking that the other people are either crazy or uncaring or a whole realm of things. Or you can think that people who take precautions, they're fearful, so they're to be condemned. Or people who are concerned about the economy, they're just callous and they're to be condemned. We need to be on guard, not use our freedom to indulge those earthly desires not to indulge our preferences. Other people are just uncertain, don't know what to think. Some people just want to get back to life and are are willing to take the risk. There's a whole spectrum of things. And, And I imagine for most of you, you probably at home have begun to, or did internally at least, nod your head. You probably agree with one of those perspectives. And what I want to say is that it doesn't matter to some degree not that those things aren't important, they are very important. But we love you, and you are more important than what you think about those things, and we are on, whether we're on the same page or not, we have a unity that grows deeper than that, because we share a common freedom as brothers and sisters in Christ, and that freedom, though, does not give us liberty to live for ourselves. That's what unites us. Now, I'm not saying those things aren't important, that you shouldn't try to form an intelligent, educated decision to try to figure out what's best for you or your family, but that is not what's most important either. In making an informed decision about what you're going to do or not do right now, it's easy to lose sight of the call to love one another. And, and to primarily think of yourself for your opinions or your perspectives. Um, we recently did a survey. I haven't actually seen all the results of that yet. I'm not correcting anybody from, from what we've seen, but I'm aware that there is a spectrum, not just out there, but in here. And it would be remiss of Aaron and I as, as pastors to not draw your attention and say, hey, look, you have a, a, a diverse perspectives here. And what is most essential is not that we all agree on, on 
what we think of this crisis, what's most important is we all agree that we have a unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace that we've been called to freedom in Christ, and that freedom in Christ is not meant for us to indulge in our own desires, our own perspectives. You see, because, you know, those things could subtly lead to division or exasperation or eye-rolling or anger or dissension or tears. And I want to send a warning, so let's be careful. Let's check our hearts. Let's guard against judging each other on the basis about what we believe. That's giving in to the desires of the flesh about the coronavirus. Let's not judge each other about that. Uh, be careful we don't fall prey to the temptation to divide between us and them. To think of ourselves subtly and inherently as, as superior to others. We all equally have been given freedom and that freedom comes equally from Christ alone. You see, any, any, anything that we do know, maybe we are right in our perspective. Maybe we're wrong. If we are right, that's a gift from God. We can't be morally superior because of that. We need to guard against identifying fellow Christians based on what they believe about these things. We need to guard against those earthly desires to classify people according to the flesh instead of regarding each other based on who we are in Christ first and foremost. We've been called to freedom, brothers. Brothers and sisters. We are brothers and sisters. We've been called to the same freedom. And look at verse 15. It says, but watch out. Watch out. If you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. Watch out. Don't, don't bite one another and say, well, they're just gullible or they're just fearful or they're struggling or, or somebody who's at risk or they're callous, they're uncaring. Watch out. You know, the idea of biting and devouring means you're going to kill each other. We call to freedom, but not to serve ourselves. And look at the freedom we've been called to. Look, look in the second half of verse 13. It says, but through love, serve one another. Through love, serve one another. We're called to love and through love to serve one another. Unfortunately, the force of that word for serve, it doesn't come across in the English language. What Paul is doing here, he's setting up a contrast between slavery and freedom. See, he says, you're called to freedom, brothers. And then he uses the same word, that he uses throughout his letters when he calls himself a slave of Christ, a slave of righteousness. And he says, you slave each other. You serve each other. Same word. You could be a bondservant, a slave, a servant. Those, those are used interchangeably. And he's saying, you servant each other. You slave each other. You serve each other. You're free to be slaves. You're free to be slaves. You see, the third truth claim in our life, life is that our freedom is to love by becoming servants of one another. That's what we've been given freedom to do. We've been given freedom to love by becoming servants of each other. The message is clear. It's that we might be free to, to serve one another through love. Now, when I think about being free, I do not think about being a slave. Paul, great, I'm free to be a slave. Now, he's not talking about being a slave to passions. He's actually about free to, to be a servant, a bond servant, a bond slave of, of each other because of love. Love enables us to serve that way. 
Right now we have an opportunity through love to serve one another. Um, we are going to be thinking through a whole bunch of different things that we might do. And so we have an opportunity through love to serve one another. It might look different based on where you're coming from. For people who are fearful right now, we are called to love those who are fearful by laying down our preferences, by being willing to sacrifice our freedoms. If you are not willing to sacrifice your freedom, let me challenge you. Who are you loving? Are you loving yourself? Loving others? Loving Jesus? As a church leadership team, we're not, we're not fearful. We're, we are confident that God is leading and guiding us. He's going to protect his church. But we know we're going to serve those who are struggling with fear through love, serve one another instead of ourselves. And so whether you know it or not, there are people here who are maybe not fearful, but they're considered high risk for contracting COVID-19. They, they believe they need to take extra precaution, and, and many do for their physical well-being. Some, there are some who don't have a choice. There's some who have multiple things wrong with them, and, and it's hard to know because a lot of people suffer in our congregation that you are totally unaware of because they're, they're hidden illnesses. It's autoimmune disease or things you can't see on the outside because they look okay or they smile or they're silently in pain. About 25% of our population has, is considered high-risk medically. There's, there's risk factors from their age, debilitating diseases, autoimmune deficiencies, other serious illnesses that you might not be aware of. What should we use our freedom for? In those cases, we need to use our freedom through love to serve others who don't have a choice about what they, what they can do. We're called to use our freedom through love to serve one another. If somebody's considered high risk, multiple factors, they, they legitimately might not have a choice, and we want to do whatever we can not to isolate anyone. And all of us are probably going to be called in your own personal relationships, maybe in your own family. Now, one of the things I noticed, uh, I looked at the first few survey results on, I think it was Friday, uh, Friday day before we had a meeting Friday night, and um, uh, a portion had come in. One of the things I thought was interesting was that, and whether you know this or not, your spouse may or may not feel the same as you. If, if your spouse took a survey, there were many who actually differed in the same household. One person said, I'd be way more comfortable. I'll only come back with these constraints. Same house, I don't want those constraints. So it starts at home. Okay, what is deferring to one another? What does loving each other look like? Some might choose on their own not to take some recommended precautions. You may be called to love by serving each other. I'm not trying to bind your conscience up to say we're called to love each other instead of and in, in, in front of loving ourselves. For those who are taking those recommended precautions, you might need to, to love those who don't. Don't presume their motives. Don't presume their heart. Don't presume people are uncaring. You might need to be loved by being patient. Listen, as we walk through the next little while trying to figure out where things are, what they look like for us in person, we're all going to need to die to ourselves a little. That's what we're free to do. We're free to be slaves through love to serve others. If we call ourselves disciples of Jesus, in fact, what we're free to do now, here's what Jesus tells us. He says, anybody wants to be my disciple in Matthew 16, he says, Come after me. If he wants to come after me, let him deny himself. Hang on. 
Let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. If you want to save your life, you lose it. And I'm not talking about save your life from the coronavirus, but if you want to save your preferences, if you want to preserve your way, if you want to live for yourself, you'll lose your life. Whoever loses his life for my sake, that's the key. If you lay down your life for the sake of Christ, you find it. You find true freedom. You found true life. Loving one another, serving them, it might look like denying ourselves in some way. It, it might look like denying our preferences. You see, a cross is painful. It might mean doing things either way that you don't want to do. Bearing, suffering, hardship, shame. We love each other by serving our brothers and sisters where they are. That doesn't mean that we're agreeing with them. It doesn't mean that we have to have the same opinion. I've seen wars break out on Facebook, not about this, but, well, actually, I have seen wars about this on Facebook between brothers and sisters in Christ, and then about political affiliations and all kinds of things that are desires of the flesh, living for fleshly things. Matthew 5, Jesus goes on to say, he says, you've heard it was said, he talks about what does it mean to love, and through freedom, love, and serve. He says, you've heard it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, he says, but, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now that at least means people in the church, but here's the reality. Nobody in, in this body is your enemy. Nobody in the body of Christ is your enemy. They're your brothers that have been equally called to freedom. And he says, if we're supposed to love our, our enemies, then what does that have to say about how we love each other in the church? If we're supposed to pray for those who persecute us, what do we, what does that have to say about people who just differ from us? In Matthew 22, Matthew 22, 37, he, he, he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now that is the same word that Paul gives us, and he says, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And so we might need a gut check right now. If, if you want to live in a way that's pleasing to all of Scripture, he says, on those two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Look in verse 14 of our passage. Go back in your Bibles, and I'll be on the screen for you, but look in verse 14 of, your, of our passage in Galatians 5. He says, for the whole law Paul just sums up both of those things that Jesus said. You think, wait a minute, Paul, how are you doing that? Paul, are you contradicting Jesus? Because Paul here says in Galatians 5, 14, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. What's going on there? Paul, you were just talking about freedom. You're called to freedom. But don't use your freedom to give opportunity to the flesh to serve yourselves. And then we know what the flesh is. And then he says, Instead, love, love one another by serving, through love, serve one another. And then he says, for the whole law, because you do these things because the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And you think, wait a minute, what does that have to do with the things you've been talking about? There's, there's, there's no way that we could have been free, is what he's saying. 
There's no way that we could have been free to love God or love our neighbors unless he sets you free. And our freedom is to be used for those things. With, with that in mind, our freedom is to be used to love our neighbor as ourself. And Paul's not contradicting Jesus because it is impossible to love your neighbor as yourself if you are not loving God with all your heart, mind, and soul. If, if your mind is not motivated by godly motives and desires, and God, I want to please you, there's no way you're going to love your neighbor. If, if your heart is not broken for the things of God, your heart's not going to be broken for your neighbor. If you're not seeking to live for God in, in everything you're doing, there's no way you're going to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, in fact, this is, this is a commandment that we never fully get right. But it doesn't mean we stop. We begin freedom now. Freedom that we can do this. Freedom we can, through love, serve one another because the law is fulfilled in one word. You should love your neighbor as yourself. Now, for all of us, the extent to which we are not loving our neighbors ourselves, it's a barometer of how we're loving God. That's a painful thing to think about. The extent to which I'm not loving my wife like myself, or I'm not loving my children like myself, or not loving my physical neighbor, or not loving people in the church like myself, not dying to my own preferences, the, things, the extent that I'm not doing those things, it is a barometer of how I'm loving God with my heart, mind, and soul. The whole law is fulfilled in that. And then who's our neighbor? We, we know in the Bible who our neighbor is. Jesus told the, the story of the Good Samaritan. Don't worry, I'm not going to go into that. But he, he told that to really, he was, he was talking to Jewish leaders because the Samaritans, the primary thing that, that, that divided them was how they worshipped. Where they worshipped. What that worship looked like. They were separated by their views on those things. And people would have completely disagreed. Samaritans and Jews would have totally disagreed. And, and Jesus is saying, who's your neighbor? It's those people you disagree with about how to worship, what it looks like. And how do you love your neighbors yourself? You, you, you love them despite those things. It's not easy, it's extremely hard. It's perhaps a great, the hardest commandment in the Bible. And so ask yourself these questions. Here, if I was gonna ask you, you, know, do, you do you wanna care for others' needs as much as you want others to care for your needs? How would you answer that? I know, I, know I, I can't answer that in a way that's positive a lot of the time. But I want to. I want to love God. Do you want to give the same mercy to others that you want from God? Do you want to give your neighbor the same benefit of the doubt that you want others to give to you? Do you want people here to cut you Slack the way, I mean, to cut them slack the way you want them to cut you slack? Do you want to quickly forgive others the way that you want to quickly be forgiven? You want to bear with others the way you want them to bear with you? Do you want to guard assuming other people's motives the same way that you want them to not assume yours? Do you want to serve other people's preferences the way you want other people to serve your preferences? Those are hard questions, right? And they reveal our heart. They reveal what we're living for. And out, out of, we're called to freedom, brothers. Don't, only don't use your freedom as, a, as, as an opportunity to serve the flesh, but 
but through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in this. Love your neighbors as you love yourself. And watch out that you don't devour yourself, each other. Paul, Paul got at that in Philippians a little bit differently about the whole preferences thing. And in Philippians 2, verse 2, he says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love. Okay, he's not talking here about agreeing on political things, but the same mind in Jesus. And he says, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, do nothing. Here's the one mind we're supposed to be of. The one mind, the one thing we're supposed to agree on. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others not as significant as yourself, but he says count others more significant than yourselves. What's he talking about there? Same thing here. Through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in this. Love your neighbor as yourself. You know, I don't know about you, but, but I think about and I care for myself and my own interests a lot. Um, I don't like to admit that I'm self-focused. I, I, I don't like that I'm self-focused, but I, but I am. When I wake up in the morning, the first thing I, most of the time that I think about is myself, my feelings, my thoughts, what am I like? Did I sleep well? Did I sleep okay? What do I, am I, am I tired? Am I achy? Am I hungry? Do I have to go to the bathroom? I mean, I'm just aware of a host of things. What do I have to get done today? What do I feel like doing? What do I desire? What are my needs? What are my wants? Me, 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 me. It's, it's like the warm up for singing, but I do that every day in my head. The idea of loving our neighbor as ourselves seems almost impossible, and on our own it is. Even doing these things, it's, it's really difficult. As we're thinking about these things, Lord, help me lay down my preferences. Help me die to myself. Help me live for others. Help me live to serve, Lord. Help, help me not give in to my own desires so that I'm not falling prey to these things you're warning about. But the only way to do that is if you really understand that we're free to serve because Jesus freely gave up his freedom to serve us. Now, it's kind of, kind, of kind of a little way of saying things, but we're free. It's the fourth truth claim is that we are free to serve. We're free to serve. You're free. He says you've been called to freedom. You're freedom to do what? Freedom to serve. Why? Well, well, all throughout Galatians, he gets at this, and we can't unpack it in our passage, but the background is that because Jesus freely gave up his freedom. Wait a minute, he freely gave up his freedom? Yeah, he was the most free person on the planet, and he freely, voluntarily gave up that freedom to do what? To serve us. What did Jesus came to do? He came to be the servant of all. That is an odd title for the creator of all. Odd title for Lord over all, the God of all. It's, it is strange, and we become too familiar with the fact that our creator freely gave up every one of his freedoms to serve us, to sacrificially love us. You know, if I was going to give a title to the whole passage in Galatians 5, 13 to 15, I, I, might, I might sum it up and say something like, you know, free to be servants, mastered by love, or maybe free to serve through love, or free to be slaves through love. Free to be servants, one another mastered by Christ's love, however you want to put it. It's all because... Jesus freely gave up his freedom to serve us. He was the most selfless person who ever lived. He was the most free person who ever lived as well. He was unconstrained by any temptation or sin. 
He was unconstrained by any limitation of knowledge or ability. And yet in every way, he constrained himself and why? So that he might seek and save the lost. You think about that. Who, who? who did he come for? The people who were deserving? The people who he liked? No. Those who were innocent? No. Those who were easy to get along with? Nope. The likable, the most talented, the gifted? Nope. The lost. Those who were lost because they were enslaved to sin. They couldn't find the way to God because they were blinded by sin. Dead in sin. Those who were lost. Now think about that for a moment. The lost are those who are free to live for themselves. Jesus came to seek and save the lost so that we no longer would live to ourselves. The lost are those who are free to choose their own path, their own destiny, and make their own way. They're, they're free to abuse and use and misuse people for their own gain. That's the lost. He came to rescue us from that. The lost are those who are free to pursue a self-indulgent lifestyle, partake of every sort of pleasure-seeking, carnal, sensual desire. The lost are those who are free to protect their own interests and preferences ahead of the good of others. The lost are all of us who are enemies of God. The lost was me. The lost was you. The lost was all of us who were enemies of God. All those who were born in sin, prior slaves to sin, who were conditioned to thinking and being motivated by the things of this fallen world, and it's affected every area of our lives. From the way that our thoughts are formed, our patterns of ingrained thinking, our base desires, our beliefs, our behaviors, and he came to set us free from this. We've been called to freedom from those things. Thanks be to God, he's, he's set us free. He's given us a new heart and a new desire, but we still have these remaining patterns and habits and ways of thinking that are of the flesh. Let's not use our freedom to give an opportunity to those things and, and thereby submit ourselves as slaves to sin. Let's submit ourselves as slaves to righteousness, to God. We were lost. We really needed seeking. Remember that. We need, if you're going to be able to love other people, you need to know just how unlovable you were. If you want to love people that you do not like, you need to know how unlikable you were. You were so unlikable, you were an enemy of God, it says. But Jesus came to rescue us from sin by defeating the power of sin in our lives, to serve us by giving himself up as a ransom to redeem us, as we learned in Ruth. He, he was the most free person on the planet. But he didn't use his freedom to serve himself or his own preferences. Instead, he actually washed his disciples' feet as a, as a lesson. says that it, unless he serves us, we can't be clean. He was the most free person, and yet he didn't use his freedom to serve himself or his preferences. As the creator and sustainer of life, the all-powerful, all-knowing, all-wise God, he should have been worshipped every second that he walked the earth. He had every right to demand his will. He had every right to demand his own way. He had every right to say, you need to do what I say. He had every right to correct every person. He had every right to demand respect in every way. And he had every right to punish everyone who didn't give him respect. He had every right to punish everyone who didn't worship him. He had every right to punish all who mocked him or belittled him or ignored his opinions or when his preferences weren't obeyed, he had the right to punish. 
And yet he said on the cross, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. He gave up his rights to be obeyed. He gave up every right to be worshipped. He gave up every right to demand from others that they bow to his will. He had every right and he was always right. Now one day we will all bow. But Jesus freely gave up all of his rights and freedoms to become our servants. And he served us through love and out of love for God and us, he laid down his life. Jesus used his freedom to serve us by taking the punishment that you deserve, that we deserve, that I deserve. He died to himself by taking up his cross and dying for us. He, he used that freedom to serve us by washing us clean. When, when we think of freedom, what's that freedom to be used for? We, we might think, may we think, of how Jesus used his freedom to give himself up for us, to serve us, so that we can be free to serve and love others. What Jesus has done in giving up his freedom and serving us in love, it's both the motivation and it's also the empowerment, the enablement to do what God's telling us to do in this passage in response. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. God, would you help us be humble before you? Would you help us be, be grateful to you to live in a, in a loving response to you, not to earn favor. Let's use the freedom that we have through love to serve one another, not, not because we're worried about you punishing us if we don't, but because you won't punish us and you've set us free. Lord, in all of our, our hearts and minds, Lord, we've been challenged in, in, in different ways. I pray that we would submit those things to you Lord, if any of us are tempted to anger or reading into things, God, I pray you would guard our hearts against that. And, and Lord, may we come humbly to you, worshiping you for using your freedom through love serving us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, let's close in song.